Amen. Thank you, Pastor Lee. It is a joy to be here this morning. Appreciate what the Lord is doing and appreciate Brother Lee and Sister Carla uh, for being our friends. Amen. I thank God for him. We have some wonderful conversations and uh, talking about Jesus. My old mentor used to say we'll, we'll be talking, not only talking, but learning Christ for eternity. And I was uh, too embarrassed to say, what do, what do you mean by that? What is there else to know? He was God in the flesh, the Son of God. He came into the world. He was crucified, raised from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father, eternally making intercession for us. But now since I've gotten older, I am understanding we will learn Christ for eternity. Amen. So it is a privilege to be back in this church and to have this opportunity. And I thank the Lord for the ministry of the Word. Uh, my dear friend, Ter Brother Terry, this morning. And uh, we uh, also have some wonderful conversations and uh, just thank the Lord for his blessings. I appreciate just last night, I... Um, the word of the Lord from Hebrews, how the, he spoke to us and the atmosphere here last night was wonderful. And Gwen and I were talking about it when we, when we left and we, and then yesterday morning, our brother Vega, uh, I told him he was close to the kingdom now. Just a wonderful word from God and I appreciate his, uh, honesty. And uh, I really like that. He said, you know, I haven't gotten to where I know God wants me to be, but I'm, he said, I'm going. Well, I pray that we all feel that way, that we're headed to on the journey to the uh, hill of the Lord. Amen. So I've just been blessed, Gwen and I, and I appreciate it. We hope that you'll continue to pray for us. We uh, are endeavoring some uh, new territory in the country of Armenia. The House of Hope has been there since about 2006 with the widows. But now we have purchased a, uh, a, a some land with a, a, a shell of a building that someone started two years ago and then had to quit. And uh, they offered it to us. It's near the Mount Ararat region in southern Armenia, which is Mount Ararat of the Bible, actually. You can see it from the city of Yerevan, the capital. And so these children who live in this area are in abject poverty. It's unbelievable. I, I was there back in September a year ago, and uh, I visited families. One family, they lived in a cattle barn, and that was their home. They had several children, one who was uh, mentally handicapped, and uh, some of them have no fathers around, some no mothers actually, grandparents, and just poverty. They can't go to school. They don't have the money. It's a different system. And so uh, we just felt like if we could get a building that they could bring them to, bust them to, uh, teach them, give them an education, clothes, let them clean up, food, and then uh, as they get older, uh, some type of vocational training so that they won't repeat the cycle of poverty that they're in. If they have a father most around, most of them are abusive alcoholics. 
So anyway, you pray for that because we're getting ready. <clears throat> I came back, and for months, I, I went after her some time ago when Sister Veronica sent me that message and said, okay, I found the place, $57,000. I said, uh, okay, we'll pray about it. <laughs> And I put that out in a newsletter, and I'm thinking it's going to take months to get that $57,000. And I had a couple. They're not wealthy people. Uh, they just uh, sent me a message and said, we're going to be sending you a check. Uh, they didn't say how much, but I went to the post office and got two checks, actually, and one of them was for $57,000. Amen. <laughs> and I said... Uh, Kind of felt like little Rhoda when they were church was praying for Peter's release from jail. And when he shows up, they couldn't believe it. <laughs> but amen. You pray. I, I know the Lord would help us. There's one thing about it. He loves widows and orphans. You can always believe he's going to take care of them. Would you stand with me? Also, in December, the Lord willing, we're hoping to finally, finally have the gathering for the Israeli pastors. And uh, they just informed me that we were expecting maybe 20. There's not many, a whole lot there, actually. We we have 40 who are coming and their wives. Amen. 40. And we we take care of their hotel, the food, everything. So we're excited. This That's in December. So we hope you will pray for them. If anybody needs revival, Israel does. Amen. Second Kings chapter 6. I have a little confession to make here. I thought when uh, Pastor Lee invited me to preach this Sunday and close out the meeting, it was almost, uh, oh, very soon I had a, a scripture and a title and some thoughts. And as the months went by, I, I sat down and started to work on it. And I thought, man, this is good. Because, uh, you know, I don't have to just, uh, sometimes I go to a meeting, I'm still not sure. And so I thought it all was just, you know, kind of cut and dry, so to speak. We're hoping it's not dry. But man, as I got closer, and I, would, I pray very sincerely about this, it, uh, it just changed. All changed. And man, I was really uh, struggling to, because I said, now Lord, I don't want to just preach a message. I don't want to just preach a sermon. In the circles uh, that I've been around for years, you know, in the count meetings, you always hear this term, uh, boy, he preached a masterpiece. But after the last few years with God's severe dealings with me, I said, I don't want to preach a masterpiece. I want to preach about the master. So, uh, I'm not going to preach what I started out some months ago, but I want to share with, with you. And I know some things I will reiterate from the past. It's a necessity. At first, I'll mention myself, and I'm not doing that to bring attention to myself, because you'll realize a little later that it just needs be, and uh, I heard, I haven't been able to listen to it yet, brother about Brother Lee's message uh, on Thursday night, 
And I was so excited, and I'm looking forward to hearing that, because we believe this, he and I together, and others here, about this end time. And I make it, and I may have shown, said this in May, the problem, and I'm going to preach, but the problem with today's Christianity and Pentecostalism, I know there's some various belief differences about the, the timing of the coming of the Lord, but when you mention the times of the end, and the days we're living in. Anybody see where that uh, the Chechnyan leader has encouraged Mr. Putin to use small tactical nuclear weapons now against the Ukraine to win the war? And then they responded from the U.S. and said, if you do, it will be absolute chaos. We will respond. And then Christians this morning have no clue of the times we're living in. We just go on. But when you mention such times, I hear this response. We're out of here. The Lord's coming. We're out of here. Well, I know we're, we're going to be out of here, and I know he's coming. I've preached that a long time. But here's the thing. For instance, right here. Is where we are today. Now he could come tomorrow. It could be next month. It could be three years from now. It could be five years from now. So what we're dealing with is from here, maybe to here. You got to live to then. And you're going to live in times different than you have ever witnessed in all of your life. It's not going to get better next month after the election. Because it's the spirit of the age. And it's not going to go back in the bottle. The jenny can't be put back. So... What I have is a message of warning and hopefully of encouragement about these times and about the word of the Lord like you heard here. In Second Kings 6.25 in reading, And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee, out of the barn floor or out of the winepress? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. And it came to pass, when the king heard the words of the woman, that he rent his clothes, and he passed by upon the wall. And the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth 
within upon his flesh. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. I, I just call this the prophetic word and the danger of rejecting it. The prophetic word and the cost and the danger of rejecting it. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as always, I confess and have already standing in this audience that I have no ability nor any talent to affect this people. I have nothing to say unless you give it to me to say. I have no anything, but I, I look to you for fresh oil and fresh unction and fresh anointing. And I ask that you would anoint the people to hear and to receive this word in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. I came here not only knowing that I would be preaching to mostly this local congregation and the visitors, but also understanding that there will be people who will be watching this uh, today and later. I have known, and this is where I need to talk about a little bit I, but it's not in, um, uh, I just need to let me get fit in this. I have known from the Lord dealing with me in the last few years and also talking to some of the pastors and ministers who have shared their hearts with me that in reference to what God is doing and beginning in this end time, that it's going to bring you and I some opposition and rejection. Not necessarily in a personal way, like somebody just got it in for you, but that the word of, but because of the word of the Lord that He has given us to declare in this hour, even though not one jot or tittle, if you will, is out of bounds with Scripture. But here's, here's the catch. Here's the little snare. It is because that we have preached or have declared that this time is already beginning as far as God's Word is concerned, that we are entering into the end of days, and also what it will take for believers to be used in the end-time purpose of God or to be brought into an end-time culture. Now, that that is not uh, my own thinking there. In fact, I was in Spain some time ago, and they said there's a pastor in Argentina preaching what you preach, and, and he said he has this school, some type of training ministry. In fact, we were going to be able to go here soon, but I could not make it fit, so hopefully spring we'll be able to go down there. And uh, th- he said that he's training his church 
to be a people to have a culture of the end of days. Man, I like that. To have a culture for the end of days, to be involved in a culture for the end of time. You see, there are too many in this hour that are unwilling to change. And when you mention that, I've been taken to task by me saying those very words and bound by traditions, not, not scripture, but tradition. Now let me, let me clarify. When I talk about tradition, I, I'm not talking about your convictions or any such alike. Thank God I have a few myself, but I'm talking about too many that have a rejection of the obedience to do what God has called us to preach and God has called us to be. I, I knew that back in, in some years ago. I was in Israel uh, in, in my apartment, and as I was sitting there one night in the dark, actually, the Lord took me to John, the sixth chapter, where Jesus said to a many that were there that day that heard him, some of them were considered disciples, and he said, if you do not drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can have no part with me. And the Bible said that many walked away from him that day, and he had to look at his uh, the 12 and say, are you going to leave me as well? They said, this is too hard and of a saying. We cannot live this. And the Lord dealt with me then and said, in the coming days, there are going to be those who say about what I'm giving you to preach and others, we cannot live this. We cannot accept this. It is too uncomfortable for them. It, it does not fit the traditional mold that we Pentecostals have allowed ourselves to be put into as far as Scripture and as far as the end of days. You know, I preached all the first in 2018 about that who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord. I stood in a pulpit and declared that I believe that God spoke to me and said that Joel's prophecy was beginning even now, not on a massive scale. But but look around you. Last night, someone made the mention about how many young people were down here around these altars. And he said to me, he's an older brother and pastor and has for many years. And he said, that gives me hope. That gives me hope. I do believe that Joel prophecy has already begun in this day. And then that message about entering into the rest of God and the presence of God and the renewed emphasis on the word of the Lord that some are preaching about entering into that, entering, entering into the presence of God and then also in knowing him in suffering. You know, I thank God for what he's giving many of you, my brethren, to say. And I also, now this one really, this one really upset the, upset the apple cart is when that made the statement how that God was about to bring house, bring down the house of Eli and uh, raise up young Samuels and Elisha's in this day. And after I started preaching that, I think it was Brother Terry sent me a little clip or someone did of David Wilkerson. I started to ask them to play it this morning. It is so powerful. It's six or eight minutes long. And I listened to that after the fact. And I said to Gwen, man, I'm glad I didn't hear this before. 
before. I, I, I thank God that he's put this in my spirit before this, but this is encouraging to me. And David Wilker said, God is about to bring down the house of Eli and that God is about to raise up young Samuels in this last day. Listen, folks, uh, I shared in that message some time ago uh, after the election about, I called it false prophets, disqualified shepherds and wandering sheep. And I, I'm here to tell you, I do believe that God spoke to me and said there would be many pastors, not that they're not not that they're bad men, but there are women, but there would be many pastors that would be stripped from their pastorates and their churches taken away from them because they failed to seek God and know the direction that God is bringing his church into this final hour. And they are not qualified because they did not deal with the hearts of the people when it came to the foolishness of that political process. Can somebody say amen? Come on now. I'm just telling you that my hope is not in Washington, D.C. And my hope for the future, I'm going to vote the Lord willing next month, but my hope for the future does not it is not in that election next month. My hope is in Christ. I said my hope is in Christ. So in this time, we we can see that the church, Brother Terry brought that out this morning, man, with the, the uh, Barna survey about the pastors in this country, if you weren't here, that is so d- disturbing how that the Pentecostals, their, their theological stance has diminished in such a way that other evangelicals kind of passed us up. It's, it's amazing. But as a whole, the church has become a desolate house. You see numbers, and, and I believe there are churches that love God that has a, that have numbers, but numbers do not equal life. I said they do not equal life. We're living in a time and a valley of dry bones that when even those churches, many of them that are doctrinally sound, I still, you know, what I see and hear is that there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of action, there's a lot of participation in them, but there still there is no life. We preach about changing the world, but we can't seem to change the people on our pew. We, we, we talk, or the people that ride our church vans, we talk about healing the sick, but our cabinets are full of meds. Well, you know, welcome to my house. We, we have them the same, but we talk about that. We talk about deliverance, but yet there are so many people in our churches that are bound and even preachers in our country that are bound. We talk about restoring holiness to the church again. And man, the emphasis in some, they have that on their signs and so forth. And and I've come to understand after 40-something years uh, that just about all, no matter if you've got it on your sign, if you wear it on your lapel or whatever, you know, many and most love some form of the world just as much as the others do. We're addicted to this world. We're addicted to things. But I've not come to beat up on the church. Aren't you glad? The true church, his body, he gave himself for it. I could do that. I used to do it a lot when I was younger. I would go in and 
uh, punching all the faults, the mess, like in a boxing ring. The people would get excited, and you know, you learn what pushes their buttons sometimes, and and we would leave the leave the setting where that might be a camp meeting or whatever, and people would say, "Man, what a message!" And how he nailed their hides to the wall. Anybody ever heard that expression? And all at the same time, I finally come to understand the Holy Ghost would be circling around in the building like a dove, trying to find something in all of that to light on. And then, finally, he would fly away grieved. I sense the Spirit of God dealing with me to say to you what I believe is the Word of the Lord this morning, pertaining to what's going to happen and come and come to pass in the days ahead. What I believe has already begun. I've read the Holy Bible, the Scripture, for over 40-something years as a believer and then raised in the church as a boy. I'm not reading a different Bible or a strange version. I, my thinking and understanding is not being influenced by some heretic teacher. But I want to tell you that some years, just a few years ago, that God took me three Three plus years of total body, soul, spirit decimation to a place to where that I, I prayed and asked the Lord to take me to heaven. I stood outside of my house one day and looked up to the sky and I said, I, I cannot bear anymore. But he had to do that. He had to bring me to that place and strip me in such a way because, you know, even though I was praying daily and even though I was preaching his word, his truth, and, and trying to fast between the meetings, I still, I could not hear his voice on what he was saying about the end of days. I could not see in the direction that he wanted me to go. You know, we have a lot of experts in our in our evangelical Pentecostal movement that they're experts at cursing the darkness. But the problem is the darkness is increasing. I did that for decades, man. I'm telling you that, it, you know, it makes for good preaching, if you will, to just talk about all the bad and everything that's taking place. But you know what I'm doing? I, I, I told them the other day, I said, you know, I used to preach against Facebook. Now I'm on it. So I said, I don't preach against it anymore. But they told me some years back, they said, you know, if you're going to reach this younger generation, you're going to have to do that. So I said, well, I don't know anything about it, but I'm going to give it a try. So, But I said, I'm not going to read that stuff they put on there. Well, don't ever say you're not. Because, man, it's addictive. But a lot of these... Uh, these preachers, some I might know and some may be distant, at a distance and some I don't know at all, but different. So they're there and their stuff comes up and I'm reading. And sometimes I just get absolutely angry. And I'm listening and, uh, you know, to some their message or reading the words of their message or their little post, you know. And I sense and I said, it's nothing but prophetic death. It is just religious one-liners and cliches. 
And all they are doing consistently is it's scathing rebukes of tares and game players. Well, I, I have dealt with tares and game players over the years, but what they're doing is it, they're building up a base among weak and shallow religious people who like, who have, are like-minded. But I want to tell you this morning, folks, God sees way down the track where the train is going to end up. Can you say amen? He, I, I tell him, if I were to look at the church in its present condition as a whole, I would be a very despondent man this morning, very, very troubled. But I am thankful that God allows us sometimes to see down the road and down the track to know the church will leave here glorious. He... He is grieved that we do not preach in this generation. And I've shared that with Brother Lee one night, you know, in a conversation. I said, I, I, I don't know everybody in this country. I don't know all preachers. I, I, I can only tell you what I do know and what I understand. But I said, the problem is most Christians, most Pentecostals are not really hearing and are not being developed into a, a an end of, time, end of days culture because their preachers, their pastors are not preaching that in their churches. They're not preparing the people for such a time. A lot of the pastors, they got so wrapped up in the political process. Help me now. I mean, one, one brother said I was coming in and watching the these videos about changing the election and reversing this to two o'clock in the morning till it took away my prayer time with God. Think about that, folks. What, what an admission. What, where have we come to when that has become the thing that we put our hope in and our trust in? And then we do not preach in those churches what God is saying to the people. Be ready. I, I'm not talking about the great tribulation, but I'm telling you between now and the coming of Jesus, you may think it's the great tribulation because all hell is turned loose against the people of God in this hour. And and, and I know that they're not preaching the prophetic counsel of the word of the Lord. I know that, and I know some are. I, I thank God. You see, when I began, I knew by the Spirit the religious fundamentals would push against us uh, and as much as the liberal crowd. So I've come to understand that I cannot waste my time answering critics, uh, but I do believe that God gave me a word of warning, and I... I here and hopefully whoever out there and for this hour and this is that word. In this sin-cursed darkness of humanity and religion there will be a light on a hill and that light will be the church of Jesus Christ. He said the prophet revive thy work in the midst of the years in the midst of the years make known in wrath remember mercy. That is the cry of a man or woman of God, who has the spirit and the mind and the desire and the love of God for his church. I've come to learn, understand that God is not a tyrant. He's not trying to get rid of me. He's not trying to get rid of you. He's not trying to swap the church for a new bride, but that God will do everything within his holy and magnificent and wonderful power for you and I to be what he intended from before there was a sun or moon or star. 
stars or a universe. You know, when you talk about love, I read those little religious cliches and one-liners in the social media, and they talk about what a compromiser you are if you talk about love, love, love. They said, I'm sick of hearing about love, and I said, save that for somebody that cares. But here is what a real preacher, who has truly the the prophetic anointing upon their lives in this day. This is how they feel about all that we see, the darkness in the future. And not only do I want you to hear this this morning, I have some verses here, but anyone that will hear this in the future, the prophet Isaiah in the 64th chapter began, and he said, Oh, that thou wouldest rim the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains may flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil. To make thy name known among thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways, and behold, thou art wroth. For we have sinned in those is continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And he said, There is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are all the clay, and thou our potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. Be not wroth very sore. O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. That's the difference in a prophet and a whiner. A modern day preacher whining about nobody wants to hear the truth anymore. Social media is filled with that. I'm going to make a statement this morning, and it may be a little offensive, and I do understand that in some sense what they're saying is true. But have you noticed that little thing they've got out, and it's appeared several times where they have this large audience of thousands of people in a church service? And then below it, you have a, 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 a sanctuary with maybe 40 people scattered out in the thing. And they say in that, they say, you know, said this is where the word of God is not preached. Uh, and there's thousands. And then the one below it, they said, this is where the word of God is preached. And it shows 40 people. Well, I've got news for you. 
Just because there's 40 people does not mean the Word of God is being preached. And, and if there's thousands, it does not mean that the Word of God isn't being preached. Can you say amen? Because on the day of Pentecost, when a man stood up and preached a 63-word sermon or something to that effect, 3,000 people fought to get into the kingdom of God. And a few days later, thousands more said, how can we get into the kingdom of God? How I'm just here to tell you, help me preach this morning, folks. Uh, listen, let, let, let me say this. Uh, this. There is a lot of this world that do not want the truth, and it's always been that way. But let me with love this morning tell the whiner who is constantly on social media complaining that nobody wants to hear what they've got to say, and to them that's the truth. It's just, sir, that they just don't want to hear you. You say that's mean. Well, I don't say it to be mean, but I say it to be truthful because I'm just here to tell you that you don't have anything in your bucket to feed the sheep and the lambs of God. Your bucket is full of rocks and you have nothing to say to this generation. You just want to whine that nobody wants to hear you. That nobody wants to hear the truth anymore. Well, preacher, they need rocks. They are goats. Then you are in the wrong pasture. You're in the goat lot. God never called you to throw rocks and skin goats. He called you to feed sheep and lambs. But there's a lot of folks out there, and you're going to hate me after this, I know, but you like skinning goats so much, you're now going after the sheep. They're his. You better watch how you treat his sheep. Yes, I know that we're to cry out against the sin of the wicked. But so many of you are doing it in the church where the wicked can't hear you. Come on. We preachers have become like the Democrats and the Republicans. We like to appeal and excite our base. But are you pleasing God? I, I'm not sure most preachers really, really want the end time move of God. I'm not sure that they really want things to change in this hour for the church. Because they are so used to cursing the darkness and preaching to goats. We are to, at times to preach a message of rebuke and a message of correction to the sheep, to the church. That's the will of God. Of course it is. But if that's all you do, then I'm certain you have not been in the presence of God much as of late. You may pray your hour of vain repetitions and prayer requests, but there is a difference than being in the presence of God. Hey, preacher, saint of God, God is talking to his people. He has something to say in this time to us, but we can't hear as I shared here in 2019, because of the clutter, the stuff, and the noise in our lives. So we're missing what God is saying and doing, and we're frustrated. 
And we're blaming it on everybody else. Man, I'm telling you. But my, my question is this, and I know I'm, see, like I'm being facetious, but I'm not. God help me. I, 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 I know, I know in my spirit, I know I'm not. But, but we're, we're just, we think our little religious cliches and one-liners that they put on social media and wherever and from pulpits and so forth, that, that if they're right, if what you're saying is right, and uh, everybody else is wrong, then why aren't you seeing revival? Why aren't you seeing the glory of God manifested in your church and services or even your own home? If all the other pastors and preachers and folks are bad, but you're good, then why isn't the, why aren't the heavens open in your life and ministry? Come on, I, I've, I've had actually people that I know, I love them, but I've actually had to block. I learned how to do that, block block people because, man, I just got so weary with it. I just would feel that, you know, the, the ah, I said, man, they're just crucifying everybody, you know, everything because they're bitter. I know them, they're bitter, and I just blocked it because I thought, you know what? If you're so right and you're so close to God, the halo of heaven ought to be over your head. But there's, it's not. There's a there's a cloud over your head, and it's a a cloud of gloom, and, and and there's no hope with what you're saying. I understand things are wrong. Believe me, I preach all over this nation and all over this world, fifty three countries. Some of them time as as high as seventeen times. But I'm just telling you, I I I, I know there's darkness, and I know that things are bad as far as the church as a whole. But I gotta believe the book, and I know that God's not wringing his hands this morning and, and come on now and that God is not saying man they're not no no he will raise up his people in this closing hour and now people are hearing and reading what a lot of these men of God and women of God are preaching and saying and they're hearing about God's will for this younger generation and now a lot of these folks are mad at them. Don't blame them. It's God's word. Blame God. God said, I will pour out my spirit. In early 2018, around January or so, I canceled for that year what we called Fire on the Mountain Camp Meeting in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee after 13 years. Because I believe the Lord dealt with me, dealt with me about it. I'm sitting in the parking lot there in Chattanooga after flying in that, that Monday, I think it was, and he began to deal with me about these younger generation, the millennials, the generation Xers and generation Z and all of that, and just really begin, and I, I thought, man, Lord, I, I'm not a young people person. I've always been old. I love them, I do, really I do. And I said to him, I said, you know, I'm not a mentor. I said, you know, I have a horrible personality. I did tell him that. He said, you owe them. Well, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew if he said it, it was right. And so I look back and I begin to think back in the early 1980s in a little 
country church in Greenville, Tennessee, up in East Tennessee. We were in, I was in a revival. I was all of 20-something years old. There was a number of young people praying in the altars night after night. And one night I'm standing there and I hear this still small voice say to me, when it comes, it just said, when it comes, it'll come through these. Well, I understood that it wasn't those particular young people because, man, they're up and grown. They have grandchildren now, but are children. But, but I, I understood that he's talking about a younger generation. When it starts, when it begins, it'll come through these. Well, when the years went by and I began to lose hope in the younger generation because I watched many, especially the young men who had a, felt a call on their life and they, they started after this uh, uh, TV crowd and they wanted to be like their favorite TV personality preacher. They even fixed their hair like them and they, uh, some of them got the same type of little sweat rags and all that. Man, I watched it all, you know. And then there, there was, uh, they wanted instant success. They, they got into the gimmicks. They imit- imitated the stars and the liberalism as far as their theology was heartbreaking. They didn't believe in suffering would happen to the Christian. And there was certainly no mid- wilderness of Midian experience for them. I, I lost all hope. And then after going to Russia and coming back and they had the uh, the uh, convention in Beaumont that first year, I saw a number of young men and women come to that convention in the years following. And I began to have hope again in this younger generation. And I thought, man, you know, I, I, surely God is going to do something. And Brother B.H. Clendenin said many times, he said, somebody's going to lead you across that river. He said, it may not be me. Well, he didn't. He died and he's in heaven, but somebody is. That somebody's the Holy Ghost. He's about to lead this generation, I believe, that across that river in its time. I have no reservation about saying that at all. I'm not thinking I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be called a false whatever, you know. I just know in my spirit that now is the time. While on one hand, apostasy, a world in chaos, but on the other, God is rising up. The judge is standing at the door. He's ready to move in this hour. I know it's a spiritual desert across this nation. I, I read statistics some years ago. The average Christian in the United States prays two and a half minutes a day. The average preacher prays, uh, or average preacher, I should say, two and a half minutes a day. And the average Christian prays eight minutes a week. Now, this is back before computers and iPads and iPhones and so forth. And it said the average Christian family watched 43 hours of television every week then. You see, there is a time of a famine of a hearing the Word of God. There's a spiritual depth that permeates many, many Pentecostal churches. It's a time of the falling away that has already begun. Lukewarmness, a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. But the Spirit of God is calling to all those who will hear His voice and begin to declare His Word for the remnant people. To declare again the church will be glorious and and in this final generation that it is a day of the valley of dry bones, but God will raise up somebody that's going to prophesy to the wind. Elisha declared in the midst of the greatest famine in Samaria's time, at that time. It said there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it. And I read it in my text until an ass's head 
sold for four score pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Now some, you know, who are more, uh, they're smarter than I am, but they say that that dove's dung was some type of a root that people ate in those times. Well, I really don't know whether it was or not. I just know it says dove's dung. And uh, I also was thinking about that, and I thought about this, that if you had women that were would be willing to eat each other's children, they wouldn't have any trouble in eating dove manure to stay alive, to survive. But in the midst of that time of famine where dove's dung sold for silver, and where an ass's head, a donkey's head, sold for four score pieces of silver. What is that, 80 or 40, 40 pieces, something like that, pieces of silver. But in the midst of that time, like we are, in a sense, spiritually in a famine in our day. If you don't believe it, man, you just come along, let me... Let me show you the people that contact me and say, can you tell me anywhere near me that I can find a gospel church where the Spirit of God is moving, where the Word of the Lord is anointed and preaching the Word of God? Can you can you tell me? I mean, people, I don't even know who they are. I'm not even sure. They just, you know, they say, can you, can you tell me where that we can go? And to be honest with you, I can't even remember the last time that I could tell them in those particular states or cities that I could even say, yes, I know of a certain church. So we are living in a time of famine. But oh my, that's when God raises up a man or woman of God who is willing like your pastor here, I'm going to listen to that Thursday night, but I know the gist of it already. Who is willing to say tomorrow about this time? Thus saith the Lord, a measure of fine flour shall be, shall be sold for a shekel. And two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. In other words, the heavens are about to open. And God is about to end the famine for his people. Because God will keep his covenant to his church. We've tried to have hope. We've quoted the scriptures. We had conferences on revival and books on revival. And I've shared with you in this church, and I'm trying to bring this to a close, but I've shared with you how that uh, some time ago, been a couple of years ago, I guess, I was walking down the aisle, I mean the aisle, the roadway in front of the home that we lived in for several years. And as I was walking down that and got across the old bridge, the river there, I heard the Lord speak to me and say, I am offended at the way my people pray about revival. And I said, and I just stopped, and I thought, I know that's not the devil, and I know it's sure not me. And I said, what do you mean you're offended? Isn't that what we're supposed to do is pray for revival? 
He said, I'm offended at the way they put the emphasis on revival. Books, uh, conferences, all the emphasis on revival, the prayer, the emphasis on revival. And I thought, man, I can't be hearing what I'm hearing. And I said, God, what do you mean? I said, isn't that what Second Chronicles 7 and 14 is all about? And he said, read it again. Well, I didn't have to read it. I'm standing there at the end of the bridge, and I quoted it to myself. I quoted it. And he said, what part of that verse does it say to put emphasis on the revival, to pray for revival? And I said, well, Lord, it really doesn't. He said, where is the emphasis? And I said, it's seek your face. But he said, yet my people put the emphasis on the revival, the fruit. They put the, they put it on the end of it. They put the, on the fruit of it. The emphasis is always the fruit, the revival, the revival. But he said, the emphasis, I, I want my people to put the emphasis on seeking my face, my presence. And then, then revival will come. Uh. You believe it, preacher, I do. I know people that we reverend, you know, almost like the apostles, like Smith Wigglesworth. I remember how that was told uh, Wigglesworth stood in the early 1900s in Los Angeles, California at the first, the first, number one, first assembly of God, not first assembly, but the first assembly of God church out there had a woman, a lady pastor. He stood up and prophesied and said, the present revival will wane. It'll come to an end. But he said, I see in the future another revival coming in the 40s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s of a heat with a healing emphasis to it. But he said, that will also wane because men will begin to give glory and men will take glory that belongs to me. But he said, then there will come years, there will come decades after that when that uh, the, the, the power will be gone and the presence will be gone and the glory will be gone and be dark days and in the church. But he said, right before the coming of Jesus, he said, I see God sending revival and the heavens open one more time. And I have the paper, the piece of the article somewhere. I used to have it maybe in a Bible or book. But it was uh, from a Finnish newspaper about J. Hudson Taylor, the famous and great uh, missionary to inland China. And J. Hudson Taylor from England, of course. And he was on furlough at the time in one of the larger churches in England, a thousand people that Sunday morning. And it was around 1840-something, I think. And he stood there in the pulpit. And they said all of a sudden it was as if he went into a trance. And he just stood there. And after a while he came back and he said, I've just seen a vision from God. He said, I see in the future coming upon this world. He described to a T communism. I'm telling you, all of that, you know, he said in the land, uh, he described uh, communism. And then he said, I see two great wars coming upon the world. He described World War One and Two. I see two great wars. But he said, I also see in a land called Russia. 
a land where the greatest awakening of its history has ever taken place is going to happen. I believe you and I live to see that and experience that in the 1990s. And he said, I see this beginning to spread to there in different parts of the world. And he said, I saw a great awakening, a great outpouring of God's Spirit. And then he said, Jesus came. I don't base what I believe on two great men of God and their prophecies, but I base it on the Word of God. I can hear the naysayers and the whiners who look through natural sight and hear and hear with natural ears. And I see the remnant, the remnant church will not have that type of anointing, but it will be a church of fire with its life. I see a generation of so-called fundamentals who will reject what God is going to do in this hour because these people that God will raise up do not fit their mold. And it will be the same unbelief that was spoken against Elisha. Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said... You'll see it with your eyes, but you will not partake of it. I want to say this morning, not only to you, but to those who would hear outside of this building. You can reject what God is saying. You can reject what God is doing because it does not fit your traditional mold and your thinking. And it does not appeal to your base. But if you reject the Word of God and what God has said about concerning the end of day's church, you'll see it with your eyes, but you will not participate in it. The man on whom the kings, the king leaned was trolled underfoot by the people and died in the gate of Samaria. Death, spiritual death, to those who resist what God is going to do in this hour. He said in Joel 2, and I close, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men, he's not leaving any of us out with dream dreams. And upon thy servants and handmaids in those days will I pour out of my spirit. He said to the prophet Zechariah, said, then shall you know. He said, ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and send them showers of rain. And Hosea 6 and 3, then shall you know, if you follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come to us as a latter and former rain under the earth. Then in Amos 4 and 7, he said, when there were yet three months to the harvest, I withheld the rain from you. I caused it to rain upon one city and upon another city it rained not, and the city upon where it rained not withered. You say, what does that have to do with the end time or any such thing? Jesus said in the fifth chapter of Matthew, the church is like a city that is set up on a hill which cannot be hid. I'm here to tell you this morning, I believe by the Spirit of God, there will be those churches that will dry up, that will spiritually 
absolutely dry up and that there will be those that God will pour out His Spirit upon, that God will send the rain because somebody believed His Word in this time. In James 5 and 7, to me the most prophetic word in the Bible concerning the rapture of the church or the coming of the Lord in end time revival. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord, the husbandman, Christ, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, that's the souls of men, and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. What does it mean, preacher? It means he is coming in a time of harvest. People being added to the kingdom of God. There is going to be those whom God raises up in this hour to declare his prophetic word. Young, old, male, female. Those who were rejected. Old men will struggle with young Samuels being raised up and have the anointing upon their lives and seem to replace them and they'll have to take a back seat. I can tell you I'm not one of them. I'm saying, God, just let me live long enough to see it. And I'll bless them. I'll pray for them. Ah. Uh, Brother Lee, next month, the Lord willing, is going to a church not very far from us. I've known the pastor all of his life. Gwen had him in school. He's about the age between my two daughters. In his life, he had a drug problem when he was young, but he got saved, got born again in a congregational Methodist church. He came up to fire on the mountain in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and that Congregational Methodist boy got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Spirit. He's our uh, elected official, our property uh, tax man. And he took this church. It's a log, the building's a log structure. It's like it's been built 200 years. It's not that old, but it's a log structure. Long and narrow. And he took this church with a congregational Methodist background. And so he's preaching. Time goes on. He has maybe 38, 40 people at the most on a good day, good Sunday. And he he was struggling. He had folks resisting the message, resisting him. He called me and he said, I'm ready to resign. I said, no, you know. And then finally one day I said, I'd I'd resign. I wouldn't put up with that. I said, I'm glad he didn't listen to me because that wasn't God. In 2020, I kept talking to him about the end time, what God had promised to do, what he said about the church being glorious and the outpouring of the Spirit and raising up this generation. I didn't know if he was listening or not listening. 2020 in the midst of the epidemic around August or somewhere he might have had 30 some people on a Sunday morning 16 on Sunday night but all of a sudden one Sunday morning they just showed up 
young young couples who'd never been to church, who were not Christians, who didn't know really anything about Christianity. They just show up. They're stirred. Something stirred them about the days we're living in. And they just started coming. And then their family, they got saved. And then their families came. And, and now, I, I'm telling you, we go. And we have to try to get there uh, early enough to even get a seat. And then they pack it out. And they're standing in the in the foyer back there. You know, sometimes 250, 300 people. I've, he sent me a video recently. They're on the front porch of the church in the hot weather. Women with babies sitting on the outside there. And man, they're singing. And people that never knew God, that had never been saved, never been born again, are being filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues and, and, and praying for people. And all during the service, they'll somebody get up and go to an altar and they'll rush down and pray for them, but you don't get excited because you're still going to get to preach because they'll pray and they'll come back, but they're praying. And I, and you know, I'm not a real emotional person, but we go there and I'm, I'm standing there and I'm just crying all the time. I think, what are you crying about Turner? What's because they're crying because they're so excited and they're singing and they're praising God and the joy of the Lord. And he told me one day, he said, I was driving to church one Wednesday evening to get there a little early. And said, God spoke to me and said, because you believe my word, because you believe the truth about the end time message, about what I was going to do in the last days, this is why I am doing this in your church. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. They put a tent up. It must have been 150 foot long. They got all kind of folks. We have a county of 15,000 people. And probably the, one of the highest per capita drug rates in, in the state of Tennessee. Beautiful place. They put a tent up. 650 people, man, show up. It's cool of a night up there now. Drug addicts getting saved. They, they, they have a home called Recovery. Uh, soldiers and 30 of our county folks, young people are there in that thing, husbands and wives. And they came across the stage and their lives are children taken away from them and their homes were destroyed and they're using heroin and they're using meth and they're using, but here they are now on the stage. They're born again. They're cleaned up. Their lives are changed and, and God's using them. The church is full of people who were drug addicts and meth addicts and, and, and uh, listen, I'm just telling you that God said, I I will pour out my spirit. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. 